Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to conservation and careful management of the state's forests to make them more resilient and better habitats for wildlife. Choosewood.com. From St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. When people are looking at at remains in a, in a hole. So what or who were these exhibits intended for? That the evidence sometimes that tribes have um, given to an institution sometimes isn't convincing enough from a museum's vantage point. And the law has left the museums in, in, um, in much more of a, of a place of power and control. I'm Elaine Cha. A museum is a place of objects, an edifice people visit to view tangible items assembled and organized to serve an objective. And that objective is often some lesson about an important or interesting aspect of history, science, art, or culture. Now, when those objects are Native American remains, and those remains are held by museums that have failed to return ancestral bones over a period of nearly 30 years, what lessons does that teach us about the way museums do their work, including what visitors don't see, and what they need to do to honor, not objectify, humans and their cultures? A recent investigation from ProPublica found that the Illinois State Museum holds at least 7,000 Native American remains and has done little to nothing to repatriate them since 1990. The journalist behind those findings is Logan Jaffe, reporter at ProPublica, and she's with us to discuss that investigation. Logan, welcome. Hi, thank you for having me, Ellen. Now, you are part of a reporting team Um, behind ProPublica's repatriation project, which has focused on the role of state museums that hold Native American burial remains, sometimes in the thousands, and why it's been so complicated to get those remains returned to the Native tribes who claim them. What drew you, Logan, to this project overall? Wow. um, So I guess kind of on a a deeper, like fundamental level, a lot of my reporting very much deals with questions of, you know, how stories are are told and and why and how and whose whose voices are are not being heard and whose voices are being erased. So, you know, when my colleagues and I uh, came from very different places to this project, um, mm-hmm. you know, one of my re- one of my colleagues, Ash New, is a data reporter, and you know, she the federal government, the National Park Service, actually keeps data on how many Native American human remains and, you know, important cultural items are still in collections all around the country. And, you know, I, she, Ash came about it through, through this data perspective. And Mm -hmm. my colleague, Mary and I came at it from, you know, this, this narrative perspective. And um, we were shocked to learn that there were so many and what was it specifically about Illinois that made you focus there? Sure. Um, well, I'm based in Chicago, 
So there's that aspect of it. And also, Illinois is a state where there are no tribally held lands in Illinois, although there like there are no um, tribes that hold land in the state. And that has everything to do with the history of um, Illinois and the federal government forced removal throughout the 1830s. So mm-hmm. there's a real, um, you know, absence just in terms of land ownership of of federally recognized tribes in this state. And then, you know, thinking about that in relation to the very high number of um, ancestral human remains held by the state, which is uh, the second highest in the entire country. The number one is Berkeley, um, and actually the Smithsonian Institution holds more than any other institution, but they are not subject to the Native American Graves Protection and Repatriation Act. Mm-hmm. They have their own thing going on. And the This latest investigation that you've done around this was published late last month, and it's titled The Museum Built on Native American Burial Mounds, and it's centered on the Dixon Mounds Museum. What was it that you found at the museum, Logan? Yeah, so um, so first of all, I should say that Dixon Mounds Museum is um, a branch of the Illinois State Museum, mm-hmm. and the Illinois State Museum um, is under the State Department of Natural Resources. So these are state agencies or government agencies. So, you know, one thing I learned through Dixon Mounds Museum is, for one, its history. You know, it is a museum that is literally built on the grave sites and um, of you know, thousands of Native American ancestors, and it is located in a part of the state um, that has a very rich indigenous history. Like there are dozens of mounds in Fulton County, Illinois, which is where um, Dixon Mounds Museum is located. And so what I learned kind of, you know, the more I investigated the history of this museum, and, you know, some listeners might even remember this, but there was a big the Dixon Mounds Museum in the early 1990s because they, for decades, displayed um, the open graves of at least 234 um, Native American ancestors who were excavated from the mound but Mm -hmm. kind of kept in place um, by a chiropractor in the 1920s. So it, you know, this museum, the origins of it have to do very much with this sort of amateur um, kind of a touristy or kind of sideshow enterprise happening in, in a part of Illinois. Mm-hmm. And that eventually evolved into becoming, you know, a state agency. Right. And it, uh, the piece that you wrote, it's like 50 cents a, a ticket to, to look at this. Right. And you've mentioned the open graves. That really, um, that was really striking. And when we say open, this is literally open. In in the piece, you do say that um, that contractors installed cedar floorboards over the pit, and there's no mm-hmm. doorway, no hatch. So like, people are looking at at remains in a in a hole. So what or who were these exhibits intended for? Ooh, great question. Yeah. So I should say, you know, in the 1990s, the after this big controversy. Um, you know, the museum realized, you know, it shouldn't probably have this exhibit on open display. So the the, the graves have been covered up since uh, 1992, I believe. Mm-hmm. But who the exhibit was for, 
Um, you know, I I think it was very much intended in in the I guess the first part of of this museum's history. Um, it was intended for you know people who lived in the the immediate area, tourists. I would say probably catered to um, white. Illinois residents at mm-hmm. the time and people definitely wasn't, you know, necessarily catered to um, native people. In mm-hmm. fact, that's part of, you know, what that controversy over whether that exhibit should stay open or not um, kind of, you know, came about in 1990 around the same time that the federal Native American Graves Protection and Repatriation Act was getting passed. Mm-hmm. And with that act being passed, so you did mention the exhibit closed at Dixon Mounds, and, and there was quite a lot of protesting around that in the early 90s, which is not that long ago in some ways of thinking, mm-hmm. that Congress passed that legislation that required museums to begin returning Native American human remains, as well as funerary objects to their rightful owners. And yet you found that even with that legislation, nearly 30 years ago, The museum has returned just 2% of the remains. Why so few? Right. So answering that question has everything to do with this part, this phrase of the law that um, is called cultural affiliation. So the law defines a cultural affiliation as um, a shared group identity that can be reasonably traced prehistorically or historically, which are you know phrases themselves that are sort of contentious. Um, and there are multiple forms of evidence that the law laid out that are sort of, um, you know, that the law deemed reliable <laughs> evidence. These included, uh, you know, biological evidence, historical evidence. It, it also included oral history, mm-hmm. um, linguistics. But what we found is that, you know, only 10 institutions throughout the country hold about half of the human remains that have not been repatriated. So there are more than 110,000 Native American remains that still reside in in museums, universities, and federal agencies. Um, and part of you know how this how these institutions have managed to hold on is by claiming that you know like the Illinois State Museum that the vast majority of these collect collections um, are culturally unidentifiable so they're not able to establish a a cultural affiliation between a modern day you know present federally recognized tribe and ancestors that are you know have been you know sitting in museums or where or repositories around the country um, by just kind of you know saying that the evidence sometimes that tribes have um, given to an institution sometimes isn't convincing enough from mm-hmm. a museum's vantage point and right. the law has left the museums in in um, in much more of a of a place of power and control over whether they're going to return or repatriate items and remains or not. So it's kind of like, it's up to you to deem um, the the evidence um, worthy of, of your letting these these things go where they should be going. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Now, your piece is focused on the Dixon Mounds, which is about 150 miles from where I'm sitting here in St. Louis. Mm-hmm. So our, our listeners may be more familiar with the closer Cahokia Mounds, which is mm-hmm. a 
a short drive over the Mississippi. So last week, we reached out to the Cahokia Mound State Historic Site Superintendent, Lori Belknap. Um, Lori Belknap estimates that the Illinois State Museum is holding several hundred remains that were excavated from Cahokia, but she emphasized that these were not used in exhibits or put on display as they were in Dixon Mounds. Um, And she also said that she supports efforts to repatriate the remains um, and said, quote, it will certainly be an honor for us to assist in the process of repatriating ancestors from early excavations here. Mm-hmm. So, Logan, does Lori Belknap's response suggest that Illinois is at least trying now to do the right thing? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, this is kind of, um, you know, part of what drew me to the story that I reported about Dixon Mounds and Illinois State Museum is that there's been a change of leadership at Dixon Mounds Museum. Um, The interim director, his name is Logan Pappenfort. He's a citizen of the Peoria tribe of Indians of Oklahoma and who are the descendants of, you know, a people uh, of more than 12 different tribes that collectively, you know, they were known as the Illinois, um, who lived in the state of Illinois. So there, there is, you know, a change in leadership there. But, you know, what, what I've been finding and what I've been reporting on is how um, a collective group of, I think it's, you know, more than two dozen different tribes who were, who all have ancestral ties to the state of Illinois and who were um, forcibly removed from the state um, are, are now in touch with the Illinois State Museum mm-hmm. in, a, in a very like proactive way that hasn't really been the case since, you know, since at least the early 1990s when part of the Dixon Mounds controversy was going on. So this is a new... Um, This is a new effort that we're seeing across the state. And, you know, there's reason to be hopeful. And there's also, you know, still reason to be skeptical because this is hard work and you're going to need a lot of state support to be able to pull it off as well. Well, it certainly sounds like there needs to be also a a concerted push to ensure that that this movement continues in a positive direction. Logan Jaffe is a reporter with ProPublica. Her investigation of the Illinois State Museum's failure to repatriate thousands of Native American remains was published on January 27th and is part of a larger endeavor called the Repatriation Project. Logan, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. episode was produced by Danny Wisentowski. Audio engineering and podcast design by Aaron Dorr. Our production intern is Avery Rogers. Our executive producer is Alex Hoyer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. Our podcast proudly supports St. Louis artists by using music from Life Creative Group. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thank you. 
St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to sustainable and sound conservation of the state's forests, which support more than 41,000 Missouri jobs, resulting in a $10 billion industry. Choosewood.com.